Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And then there was the careful rehearsing of the story, not only among themselves. Who else did they have to rehearse the story to? Who actually brought that coat to the father? Who was the person who carried the coat to the father? Anybody remember? It was a servant. They didn't bring it themselves. They sent it there. That means that servant's got to have the right story, right? He can't mess up. I don't know. Where did the servant come from? Or He was probably there, but he was rehearsed. You have to say to the father, do you know this coat? Do you recognize this coat? That servant had to get it right. And it was all designed so that Jacob would come to the conclusion, oh, my son has been killed by a wild beast. Because remember now, they didn't tell him that. They just said, you just go there and show him the coat, and then you just give it to him, say, this is your coat. And then Jacob was the one who came to the conclusion he was killed by a wild beast. Now, that servant was probably traveling with the group of the brothers, with the, with the band of brothers. <laughs> the band of brothers, right? And so the servant probably knew the truth, all right? So then what else did they have to do to that servant to make sure he didn't spill the beans? They had to threaten him with his life. (laughs) We will do to you what we did to this goat if you don't slip up on this. So this is careful steps. Then there was the careful, well, I forgot, but you know, really, like you said, Jose, there was the careful step of pulling them out, negotiating, and selling them off. As a slave, that was definitely a step as well. You got to make sure now, when you guys take this brother of ours, you make sure he doesn't escape. (laughs) The last thing we need is for him to show up at home and tell what we did. Are you guys really going to hold on to him here? He's very valuable. You'll get a lot of money for him in Egypt. So, you know, hold on to this guy. He's really something. He dreams. Did I tell you he dreams? (laughs) He's really, look at him. So there was that careful step. Then there was the careful keeping of the code of silence. Code of silence. 16 years they kept this code of silence. And it all worked for 16 years. It was fantastic. It worked for 16 years. Who would have thought that after 16 years that they'd have to face this? And so, but now, you know, they say, they hear this, go down to Egypt and buy the food. Now they feel like, oh no, we're being dragged to Egypt to face what we've kept under a strict code of silence for 16 years. Not one of us has uttered a peep about Joseph or Egypt. 
So we see them, we understand now in verse one why it says they're just looking at each other in silence. That's all they can do. They're under a coat of silence. All they can do is just look at each other. And that's what Jacob sees them doing here. They're just staring at each other without any words. They stare at each other. And in each one of their minds as they stare at each other, they're thinking. And they're really speaking very loudly to each other, only without words. It's the sound of silence here. (laughs) It's the sound of silence because these are silent words. And what they're saying to each other in their silence as they're staring to each other is they're saying, hey, what about all our careful planning? What about that careful tearing of the coat and that careful killing of the kid and that careful collection of the blood and that careful dipping of the blood and that careful cleaning up of the mess and that careful selling of Joseph and that careful rehearsing of the story and our careful keeping of the silence for these 16 years? That's what they're saying to each other in silence as they look at each other and they think back over all these nine steps to get this perfect fail-safe plan. And here it is, 16 years later, and they're saying to themselves, we forgot the 10th step. (laughs) We forgot the 10th step that really would have made our plan the fail. What's the 10th step? What'd they forget? They looked at each other and they said, we didn't think that there was going to be a famine (laughs) that was going to drive us into Egypt for food. Why did any of us think that during these seven years of plenty that the Egyptians would be laying up food for the famine? Why did any of us think that during these seven years of plenty we needed to lay up food for the famine? That's the 10th step of laying up food for the famine, coming famine. What were we thinking? And then what did they say to each other? How could any of us have thought of that? How could any of us have thought that during the years of plenty, we should have been laying up food for some coming famine? We thought the climate had changed for good. We thought there was a permanent global warming. (laughs) And it was going to be big harvest from here on out. How could any of us have been thinking that we were going to be dragged down to face something we did 16 years ago? And now they're all beginning to wonder, Maybe God's behind this. (laughs) They're thinking, they're all starting to wonder. It's too many coincidences here. You know, maybe they're starting to come to the conclusion of what they're going to say in the 44th chapter, Genesis 44, 16, when Judah speaks, God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. It's so incredible what he said. Oh, God just discovered it? Oh, he found out? <laughs> oh, look, God found what was lost. Now, So the brothers here are just staring at each other. They're speechless. And Jacob sees it, and they don't want to make a move toward Egypt. They just rather ignore the situation. I mean, can you feel the surprise that they're feeling? Can you feel this guilt? Can you feel the shame that these brothers are feeling now? As someone has mentioned, you got to go down to Egypt. I mean, the brothers are just in shock when they hear this word Egypt, and that's the place where they disposed of Joseph. So the brothers go on in this silence, just not, they don't want to talk about going to Egypt. Now, it reminds me of my grandson, Joshi, when he was nine years old, and what he did is he thought, you know, it would really sound great in the dryer 
if I threw a bunch of rocks in there. <laughs> I'd like that noise. So he throws a bunch of rocks in there, and they're going all over, and, and my son Joshua says to him, Joshy, what did you do? And I was there, you know, and I'll never forget it. It was so funny. He put his hands in his pocket, and he starts walking around. He says, I don't want to talk about that right now. I don't want to talk about that right now. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that right now. You know, that's human nature. That's human nature. When it comes to dealing with the sins of our past, we just kind of put our hands in our pocket, walk around, and say, I don't want to talk about that right now. I don't want to talk about that right now. So much better if we just don't talk about that right now. Talk, that's confession. Talk, that's asking for forgiveness. And that's the only thing to say. There's nothing to say but confession and asking for forgiveness, as Judah will do. As the leader of the group, again, in that verse in Genesis 44, 16, coming up, and Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. Now, when these brothers hear the word, there's corn in Egypt, they turn and they just said, we don't want to talk about that right now. And when these starving brothers heard that there's corn in Egypt, they begin to feel as if they're being hunted Before, they were the hunters of Joseph. Now they feel like they're the hunted ones. And they feel like criminals, you know, like in the Wild West with the posse closing in on their heels and they can hear the bloodhounds, you know, on their path. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of Proverbs 13.21. Proverbs 13.21 says, evil pursueth sinners. With Psalm 140, verse 11, Psalm 140, verse 11 says, Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. And these brothers feel like they're being pursued. They feel like they're being hunted. And they know that they're being pulled by God to their sin because God wants repentance. God hopes that the sinner will not be lost. And so he's exposing their sins. He's in the process of exposing the sins. Numbers 32.23 says... But if you will not do, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. And the brothers had this fail-safe plan to make sure that what happened to Joseph was always a secret from Jacob, and that was their problem. They were only looking on this plane. They were only looking horizontally. They were only looking at Jacob. And they said, if we could keep this a secret from our father Jacob, we're safe. But they weren't looking vertically. They weren't looking vertically. If they'd been looking vertically to God, then they would have known what David knew when he said in Psalm 90, verse 8, Psalm 90, verse 8, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. See, the brothers had put their sins against Joseph behind them, and God said, I put them in front of me. You know, the brothers had made their sins against Joseph a secret on earth, you know, in darkness. And God said, I'm lighting it up my face. And so this is what happened. And this is what God does. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Lord, come, the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. This is all a big illustration for us, a huge illustration for us, because it's showing us here, we need to live our lives looking this direction, not this direction, not like the brothers did. 
So it's an illustration for us of what God does in the lives of men during their lifetime when they have to face some long forgotten sin like these brothers and they're speechless. And it's a worse illustration for us of what God will do in the final judgment when man will have to face all those long forgotten sins and like all these brothers be speechless. It's a big illustration for us. This chapter is an illustration for us that our sin, it will find us out. The take-home message from this chapter for us is be sure your sin will find you out. Now, Jacob says to the sons in verse two, he said, behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down there and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. So Jacob says, I've heard, get down there, buy, so we live, we don't die. Now, in these words, when Jacob just said that, I've heard, get down there, buy, so we can live, that's a picture of faith. That's a picture of faith. When Jacob said, I've heard, that's the hearing of faith. Like it says in Romans 10, 17, Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But then when he said, get down and buy for us so we can live and not die, that's the works of faith, the works of faith from James 2.20. James 2.20 says, faith without works is dead. Now, let's take a look at this situation from another point of view, from God's point of view. God allowed a famine, and a famine to affect Jacob's family. But there was corn in Egypt, plenty of corn in Egypt. So God provided lots of corn down in Egypt. Now, Jacob does not see himself at this point as self-sufficient. In fact, he's rather been humbled by all this. He's got to go down to Egypt for food, and if he's going to live, Egypt is going to give him food. Now, that's a picture of what God allows sometimes to happen with us as believers. Here at the chapel, for example, God might allow a family or an individual to fall into financial need. That's like Jacob in Canaan suffering from the famine. And then there's another in the fellowship that's experiencing abundance. That's like Egypt. So God wants the one with abundance to give to the one in need. And that's what's meant in 2 Corinthians 8.14. 2 Corinthians 8.14 puts it by this, but by an equality that now at this time, your abundance may be a supply for their want. And their abundance also may be a supply for your want so that there may be an equality as it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing, he that had gathered little had no lack. So Jacob realizes that unless they can buy corn, they're gonna die. And now the family of Jacob is in the middle of a famine and their situation is described by Stephen in his last words, in Acts 7.11, Acts 7.11, there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction and our fathers found no sustenance. They found no sustenance. It means that they found no food to eat. They were starving. And we can imagine they were watching their livestock because remember he had a fair number of livestock when he arrived there and they watched their livestock die one by one and with each one that died they thought and when are we next and when are we next so Jacob's in this land of promise he's in the land of promise already he's not like he's in some some place like like Haran or or Egypt he's in the land of promise and there's a famine 
He's in the land of promise, and there's a famine. Now, he's the last of the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he experiences a famine in the land of promise. Who else experienced the land of the promise? Did Abraham experience a famine in the land of promise? He did. He did. It's in Genesis 12, 10. It says there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine. So he's the first patriarch that experiences a famine in the land of promise. Did Isaac experience a famine in the land of promise? He did also. In Genesis 26, 1, Genesis 26, 1, there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Bimelech, king of the Philistines, and to Gerar. Does that seem strange to you? Does that seem a little strange to you that all three patriarchs were they were in the place where God wanted them to be in the land of promise that all of them experienced famine in the land of promise? Why did God allow there to be famine in the land of promise for all three patriarchs? Why do you think? Okay, so they get helped by others. They wouldn't be so self-sufficient, so independent. But also... What it did for them is it taught them to look for a better country. It helped them to wean them away. God was weaning them away from this world. A weaning process. You know, a nursing baby looks up at his mother one day and he says, like Clark, (laughs) and he says, I'm tired of this milk. I want a double whopper with cheese. (laughs) you think clark's gonna do that i don't think so (laughs) that baby has to be weaned off of his mother's milk and he doesn't like it he doesn't like to be weaned off because it's good because he doesn't like to be weaned off with the promise of better things that are out there like double whoppers with cheese (laughs) and the patriarchs they made a pretty nice comfortable life in the land of canaan and they needed to be weaned away from Canaan to get ready and to be yearning for heaven. You know, this is what God did with these families. And he did it through the starvations, these famines. That was God's way of weaning the patriarchs off the land. You know, the same is true of us. We're like birds. We like to nest. We like nesting. We like nests. Nests are so nice. And we like to do that. I remember one year when I went to Medica, which is the largest medical trade show in the world, every year in Dusseldorf, in the very worst time of the year for Dusseldorf, which is November. It's a miserable time. Oh, it rains and it's muddy. The whole thing is like muddy snow <laughs> all over. And, uh, and, and of course, every year all the hotel rooms are booked and I didn't get one early enough. So, But I was finally able to find this hotel room near the train station and the hotel was dirty. <laughs> and the carpet was so dirty with mud that it dried onto the floor there that your socks got dirty walking on the floor (laughs) you know and I was there for four days and you know what I kind of got attached to that room that's kind of (laughs) strange I did I made it my own I looked out the window at the snow and it felt cozy in there and I remember I was actually kind of sad when I had to leave the room (laughs) when I came home you know that's the way we are in the world it doesn't matter what kind of situation we're in we're kind of like birds we just make a nest Especially in a place as nice as San Diego, which is not covered in muddy snow. You know, it's very easy to make a nice life down here, to make a nice nest in America's finest city. And God has to put some painful events 
to wean us away from San Diego to make us ready to yearn for heaven. And we wonder when that happens, why is this happening to me? I'm a child of God. Why did the paint on my perfect new car get dinged? Why did my perfect health fail? Why did I lose my perfect job? Why did I have to move out of my perfect home? Why did the doctor say I have cancer when I prayed really hard that it would be benign? And these are all part of God's, of the pains of God's weaning process to take our interests and desires away from this world and that is passing away and on to heaven where our eternal future is. And we don't like to be weaned from the world. It's painful to be weaned. Just ask the baby. He doesn't like it. But just as God allowed famines to come into the lives of the three patriarchs to wean them from their, their world of Canaan, So God allows troubles to come into our lives to wean us away from our world of San Diego. So famines in their lives and troubles in our lives are for the same purpose, which is to create a desire. To create a desire, which is spoken of in Hebrews 11, 16. Hebrews 11, 16 says, now they desire a better country. Keep in mind that Hebrews 11 is is this terrible history of all the terrible things that happen. They're being sawed, they're being chased, they're naked, and oh man, everything's going on. But then God says in Hebrews 11, 16, now they desire a better country. That is the heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. A city. Bible opens in a garden, man in a garden. Bible closes in Revelation, man in a city. Now, Joseph in his wisdom, it was Joseph's wisdom, of course God gave it to him, but Joseph's wisdom that he had decided to organize all that store of food for the Egyptians. And they were saved because the Egyptians were saved from the starvation because they obeyed Joseph. You know what? Joseph would have done the same for his family if they hadn't sold him as a slave. It's the same person. He would have done it. Just as the Lord would have brought salvation to, as the Lord did bring salvation to the Gentiles who obeyed him, he would have brought salvation to the Jewish people if they had not rejected him. Okay, now, look at verse 1. And tell me the title of the brothers. How are they entitled indirectly? They have a title there. Verse 1. Who are they? They're sons. They're Jacob's sons. Jacob said unto his sons. They are Jacob's sons. Now look at verse 3. Tell me now. What's their title in verse 3? Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brother. Now look at verse 5. What's their title in verse 5? Sons of Israel. Doesn't that strike you as strange? I mean, isn't it strange to you that within five verses... The same group of brothers should be called by three different titles? Then why? Within five verses are the same brothers called by these three different titles. It's purposeful. It's purposeful. And we need to see the purpose. We need to see that these different titles, you know, the sons of Jacob, brothers of Joseph, the sons of Israel, these are showing us a transition If there's one word that you can give to a title for these four chapters, it's the word change. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages 
can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.